<laughs> I, I figured we said Chronicles, and y'all are like, Chronicles? <laughs> I'll give you some more time. Second Chronicles chapter 20. When you're there, Sam, there. All right, all right. I know that's probably that part of the Bible where the pages are sticking together and all of that, but that's okay. Let's begin in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Metanites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are at, they're in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. And he set his face to seek the Lord. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. This morning we're going to talk about fasting when life gets furious. Fasting when life gets furious. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we realize that the road to glory is a bumpy road. With insurmountable obstacles. Insurmountable, of course, if we try to uh, overcome them in our own strength. And Father, I confess, and I would just guess that I'm not alone. Most of the time, I try to overcome them in my own strength. And the anxieties that I feel, even right now in this moment, are largely because I try to overcome them in my own strength. And it's more than I could possibly bear. We need your help. Teach us, Lord, through the life and the experiences of Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah in his day. Teach us to seek you. To seek you with our whole hearts. To seek you even with our whole beings. Bodies and souls. We need you. Lord, there are some who are here who have lived their whole lives trying to overcome the obstacles of life in their own strength because they do not have a relationship with you, the living God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, the risen one. So Father, I pray that even as your word goes forth this morning, that, that the gospel, Lord, would would, would not just be words on a page for them, Lord, but that they would hear the gospel proclaimed and your spirit working through the gospel, Lord. May he penetrate their minds and their hearts and open their eyes, Lord, even now to see that they are alone. 
and they are helpless and hopeless apart from Christ. May they see this, Lord. May they feel this to the depths of their being, that, Lord, by your Spirit, they may turn away from their sin and turn away from their, their, their self-efforts uh, 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 to save themselves and to protect themselves and secure themselves. And, Lord, may they turn wholeheartedly to you through our Lord Jesus Christ as the only one that can save. And Lord, I pray that even today, they may confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that you raised him from the dead, that they may be saved. May we all, as one group of people with one voice and one heart and one soul say, Lord, our help is in you and our hope is in you. And we thank you. We ask big things because you're a big God. So come, Lord, have your way among us. Teach us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure you've been there before, haven't you? You've had those moments where you've felt like there is absolutely no way that you can get through. You've had those moments before. Moments where you have said, you've looked at inward, you've looked at yourself, and you've said, maybe out loud, or maybe you've felt it inside, I've got nothing right now. Any of y'all felt that way before? I've got nothing. I remember uh, Annie and I, and, and little Joshua, he wasn't yet a year old when we moved to Texas. As I started uh, taking my studies at Southwestern Seminary, and as we were down there, we, we moved down, we had a, a pretty good savings, uh, a, a good amount of money in savings, and, and, and we thought, this is good, we'll go down there, I'll try to find a job. I, I, I was already on staff at a church in Pennsylvania uh, at the time that we moved down to Texas, and so I thought, well, you know, I've got some ministerial experience, and maybe I'll just go and, and you know, find a church that may be looking for uh, uh, an associate pastor or something like that, and we'll just see how, how it all works out. What I didn't realize going down to Texas was that everybody was a seminary graduate. <laughs> the entire state of Texas has been to seminary. Uh, all anybody can preach, you know, uh, down there, and, and, and so on. And so I got down there, and I realized that the line was all the way back there right? And, and here I am coming in, unknown, nobody knows me, I don't know anybody, and, and I just thought, okay, well, we're just going to wait. And we waited, and as we sat and waited for God to provide, I was putting applications everywhere and all of that, I saw that savings account that we were hoping in and depending on go to absolutely nothing. And, we're, and I'm sitting here going, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know where to go. I'm crying out to the Lord, Lord, please help. I remember going to mom and dad in and, 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 and humility and a little bit of, uh, of shame saying, mom, dad, I know we just moved to Texas and everything, but we don't know what to do. We don't know what's going on. And mom and dad weren't in a situation to help because in 2007, they bought a new house. And anybody that knows anything about 2007, 2008, and all of that, you know exactly what happened to their house. Uh, they were way underwater as the value of their house plummeted, and, and they're trying to figure out what just happened, 
you know, to them and to their savings and all that. And so they're looking at us, and I could hear my mom over the phone in tears saying, Ron George, we, we just aren't in a position to help. And I'm sitting here. I remember walking to uh, class. We lived in student housing across the street from the campus, walking to class and from class, and in those times, calling out to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't have another option. I've got nothing. There's no way that we can make it through. The, the only one that can help us in this moment is you. Lord, please hear my cry. Please, Lord, help. We've had seasons like that. Seasons where Annie and I, uh, after having the boys, we were expecting a third child, and, and unfortunately we lost that third child in a miscarriage. And I had never felt pain like that before. I'd, I'd, I'd never experienced anything like that. We were two for two. And I just thought, all right, here we go. Here comes number three. Let's do this. This is what we do. You know, uh, you know, here comes the baby. We deliver the baby, figure out a name for the baby, fight over the name for the baby and all that. Let's, let's go. Let's do this. And all of a sudden we're going, wait, what do you mean there's no baby? And I remember in that moment, as I'm trying to be there for Annie, and I'm feeling all the pain and the grief and the agony inside, and I somehow have to figure out a way to, to walk to, uh, back to class, and by this time we had a job, and, and, and going into work and so on, where inside all I wanted to do was curl up in bed and cry. Lord, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. You've had those moments. Perhaps you've looked at an insurmountable challenge and you said, I've got nothing. Perhaps you've, you've, you've felt uh, this when you've gone through circumstances that you, that, that you say, I don't, I don't know how to get through this. Or anxieties that you've felt and you go, I don't know how to get through this. People are expecting you to be you know, the one with all the answers or they're expecting you to be the one who's going to get you out of it and all of that. And you realize you've got nothing. What do you do when you've got nothing? What do you do when you've got nothing? Jehoshaphat is in a situation just like this. He's the king of Judah. He's had a really successful reign thus far. Now, here he does have this little quirk. Uh, we see it at the beginning of chapter 19. We see it at the end of this chapter, chapter 20. He has this thing when, when he feels like he's got to do something, when he feels like he's got to have an answer, where he has these alliances with foreign countries. That's not unusual. What, what's, what's bad about it, though, and he keeps getting called out for it, is that these alliances that he's making are with wicked kingdoms. Most notably, the northern kingdom, Israel. By this time, the kingdom has been divided into two. Uh, the northern kingdom was Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah. And the northern kingdom was wicked. If you read through uh, the books of Kings, and especially 1 Kings, 2 Kings, you realize none of the kings of Israel, of none of the kings of Israel, was it said they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. No. All of them did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And during Jehoshaphat's reign, you had the most wicked of all of the kings of Israel, Ahab, who was there. And Jehoshaphat formed an alliance with Ahab in chapter 18. He gets called out for that in chapter 19. What are you doing, Jehoshaphat? You don't need these wicked nations and all of that. You need the Lord. 
You get to chapter 20 at the end. He uh, establishes an economic partnership with the wicked king. I believe it was Amaziah. He he, uh, has a, a partnership with him. And again, he gets called out. No, you don't need an alliance with them. They built ships together. They were hoping to sell them to another nation, make a little money off of that and everything. God caused all of the ships that they made to wreck. That will be what we call an economic downturn. Yeah, all of the ships, gone. Why? Because you don't need them. You need him. By the way, don't we do that? Don't we do that? In those times where we go, I've got nothing, what do we do? We go anywhere else. Everywhere else. I, I don't know what to do. Let me go to Google. Google will tell me what to, what to do in this situation. Let me go to social media. My Facebook friends will tell me what to do. I know, I know, I'm old. I said Facebook. Um, you know, my, my social media friends will tell me what to do. And, and, and all, where, where do you go? I, 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 I got to go out. I got I to gotta just go out and have some fun. You know, let me, let me just get away from all this. Escape, you know, and so on. What do I do? And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat uh, had a struggle with. In those moments where he had no idea what to do, when he had nothing in himself, He would go other places except for the Lord. And yet, the story that takes up the most time and space in Jehoshaphat's reign, at least the recounting of Jehoshaphat's reign, is right here in chapter 20, when he did not turn to other nations for help. He did not turn to the wicked for help. He turned to the Lord. When life gets furious, When you've got nothing, it's then that you say, Lord, I need you. It's then that you seek the Lord. Okay? Look at chapter 20. Begin in verse 1. It says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with some of them, uh, uh, and with them, some of the Menunites, or the Menunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Okay? We don't, we don't get that because, one, because of population changes and so on. We don't get the idea of, of these peoples coming in. It doesn't seem, you know, for us, we look and we're like, wow, it's like, you know, if Pennsylvania and Maryland decided that they were going to go up against New Jersey. You know, I mean, that, that really, population-wise, that's exactly what this would be like. And we just kind of look at that and go, wow, that's so underwhelming, right? But, but think about it from their eyes. In their eyes, it's like there are three nations, let's say, you know, three nations, you know, of our enemies. Let's say if, if uh, you know, nationally, if Russia and North Korea and China, you know, or so on, decided that they were going to declare war on the United States. Now, we know as the U.S. that, you know, humility isn't exactly our strong point. <laughs> and so I'm sure that there are some of us that are like, bring it on. That's what we do. USA, you know, and everything. But let's be honest. <laughs> you know, even with the greatest military in the world, you know, we still would look at that and go, that's daunting, right? That's, that's a pretty tall order. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat is feeling. He's looking at these nations and he's going, oh boy, that's, that's more than I, than I, can, than I can bear. I, I don't know if I, can, if I can handle all of them. We could probably go to toe-to-toe with one of them. We could probably go to battle with, with a couple of them, but all three coming at once, that's a lot 
for us. You notice a great, uh, or one of, some of his men, his advisors, maybe his military strategists, they came and they told him in verse 2, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they're in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. And look at his response in verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid. It's, it's, being, it's, it's a bad situation, right, when the king is afraid. It's a bad place to be in. When the guy who's supposed to be leading the charge is afraid. Jehoshaphat is afraid. I don't know if I can overcome this one. I don't know if we can defeat this army. What does he do when he's afraid? What does he do in this moment? Look, he was afraid, verse 3, and he set his face to seek the Lord. Look at verse 4. Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Whenever you have a story, whenever you have a narrator uh, in a story where he, he's constantly repeating a word or repeating a phrase, that's probably because he wants you to remember that, right? He wants you to, to, to zero in on what's going on there. So, Notice three times there in verse 3 and verse 4, it talks about Jehoshaphat and the people seeking the Lord. You see that there? If you're an underliner, go ahead and underline that. Get your highlighter or whatever, highlight that. They went to seek the Lord. They're seeking the Lord. They are seeking help from the Lord, okay? And notice how they do that. Go back to verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. You see that? The way that they go about seeking the Lord is by fasting. Fasting, if you will, is a kind of a declaration of a state of emergency. We're in a state of emergency. In America, the way that it would look is like this. You know, you, you, uh, something big has happened. Like, I remember, you know, back in, in 9-11, you know, back in 2001, uh, when the, uh, the planes went into the towers and then into the Pentagon and then the fourth plane crashed in Pennsylvania and so on. And I remember all of us, all of us, were waiting for that evening when President Bush, at the time, made a statement to uh, the people, to, uh, to all of us citizens. And it was a declaration of a state of emergency. We are under attack. It's a, it's a declaration of a state of emergency. Now, in America, you don't hear presidents, unfortunately, say, we need to turn our faces to the Lord right now. We need to call out to the God who sent his only son to come down to redeem uh, us from sin and to make all things new. We need to call on the one true living God right now. They can't do that because, you know, votes. Uh, they can't do that. But if they were going back to biblical times, that's exactly what they would do. They would say, we need to stop everything right now. Stop what you're doing. Put on sackcloth and cry out to the Lord. And don't you dare pick up your fork. No, 
We need all hands on deck. We need total focus right now. Body and soul engaged in saying, Lord, we're in a state of emergency. We need your help and only you can help us because we've got nothing. That's what fasting is. Fasting is a declaration of a state of emergency. Now, here, the king pro- proclaims a fast. In other words, he calls on all the people of Judah to fast. That's really the only time in the scriptures, th- these situations are the only times in the scriptures where you see a command to fast. Nowhere in the Bible uh, uh, do you see a regular command that says, fast, thus says the Lord, you must fast. You don't see that in the Bible. What you do see are things like in Matthew, uh, like in Matthew 6, where the Lord says, when you fast, wash your face, put on makeup and everything, shave and so on. Don't be going around broadcasting it, putting it all on blast, looking all disheveled and everything. So that people go, what were you doing? Oh, nothing. I was just fasting, you know. I was just seeking the face of God, you know, and all of that. And so that people could go, oh, wonderful, wonderful. He said, no, 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 that's not what you do, all right? Live your life just like you're doing your life. You're not doing this for the applause of others or so on. In a state of emergency, you don't need applause. Do you see what's going on? In a state of emergency, the last thing on your mind is, is what people think about you. How many clicks you get, how many likes you get. That's not what you're looking for in a state of, of emergency. In a state of emergency, what you need is help. You see? And so that's why Jesus says no, because if you're going around looking for the applause, you obviously don't understand the moment. In fasting, when you are fasting, you are fasting out of a sense of agony, and you are fasting out of a sense of urgency. Fasting is, if you will, a physical response to a dire situation. We need you. We need you. And I can't think about a meal right now until you answer. That's where Jehoshaphat is. My question is, are you in a situation like When was the last time you felt in the depths of your being just how much you needed him? There's an obstacle that's in the way. Uh, That obstacle we've learned about in the letter of the Romans is our flesh. While our souls are, are, are in connection with the Holy Spirit and we recognize our dire state of emergency, we recognize just how much we need the Lord. We have a flesh uh, uh, here that is constantly saying, lighten up. It is not that big of a deal. You are so overreacting right now. Go on ahead and eat your food. Go on ahead and, and get something to drink and so on. Go on ahead. You really don't need all of this. And we're constantly battling with our flesh in order to understand just how much we need the Lord. And so for some of you, you said, no, I, I, don't, I don't do fasting or, or anything like that. You know, maybe A, because I don't really think it's that big of a, of a deal, or, or B, I don't, I don't really recognize just how badly I need him. And that's why God takes us through these, 
states of emergency. Yeah. He uses these moments to shake us. To get our attention to say, you are not as big as you think you are. You are not as strong as you think you are. You are not as self-sufficient as you think you are. You need me. Jehoshaphat and the people were in that situation. where They realized there's no way in the world that we're going to overcome this unless God helps us. And so they stopped everything. We're in a state of emergency. Let's devote all of our time and all of our affection and even all of our bodies engaged in seeking the Lord. And so they prayed. Look at verse 5. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, and he gives this spectacular prayer. I want you to notice a couple of things. Note in, in verse 6, there's kind of a pattern in here. Look at verse 6. He says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Three questions that he asks the Lord here. Are you not God in heaven? And it's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? Are you not God in, question, uh, God in heaven? And the answer is, yes, he is the God in heaven, okay? Look, look at verse 7. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And the answer is, yes, he is the God who drove out the inhabitants and gave the land to the descendants of Abraham, his friend. Yeah, and, and, and now look at uh, verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? And the answer that they hope to get is what? Yes, you will execute judgment on them. Who are the they there? Well, obviously, it's who, who's coming over in battle and so on. It's the, the alliance here, okay? So let's, let's look back and let's, let's unpack this prayer. Uh, first off, he's God in heaven in verse 6. And so then he says, you rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Okay? In other words, God is the one who rules over all the kingdoms and the nations. God is the one who is all sovereign over every government, over every nation, over every people. God is the one who rules over everything. When you are seeking the Lord in this state of emergency, you must realize that the one that you seek is the one who is above everything. There is no situation that may be insurmountable to you that is insurmountable to God. It doesn't exist. He is omnipotent. Think about this. God is omnipotent. That means you could spend billions, even trillions on your artillery and your military and your arsenal and everything, and you come up against God, and God has to hold back laughing. He just kind of... <laughs> No, no, I'm sorry. I am taking you seriously. No, for real. I am. I am. You. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. No, no, no. You've got your nuclear weapons and all of that. Yeah, and let's just forget the fact that I'm the one that created atoms. But, but yeah, you know, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. That's how God responds to governments. He's not impressed. And if that's how he is with our greatest displays of strength, then certainly we should look to him and say, God, you are our only hope. 
You are the one who rules over everything. You are the mighty one and the strong one. Now, that would be uh, 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 you know, fine in and of itself, but there's a little bit of a problem, right? Because to say that he's the one with this overwhelming, omnipotent power would be terrifying to all of us if he were against us, right? That kind of power is not what you need if that God is against you. Think about the movies that we've seen over the years. I remember Batman versus Superman, where Superman is kind of the villain in the, in the movie. The, the movie begins with, with them questioning if any being should have this kind of power and this kind of strength. If he's this mighty and this powerful, and there's nothing that anybody can do to overcome the power and this strength, then how can we trust him? It's a good question. We just assume that he's going to use that power to save the day for us and all of that, but, but, but we, we don't know that for sure. What if he changes his mind? What if he decides on a whim, you know what, I'm, I actually want all of your stuff and there's nothing you can do about it. And he just wipes the whole planet out. He could, he's Superman. You go into the Avengers and you look at Thanos and they go, who's this guy that has all of the Infinity Stones? If he has all the Infinity Stones, then he has absolute power in all of the universe and there's no one that can stop him. And it's clear in the Avengers saga, that's not a good thing. So they understand, for someone to have all this power and all this authority and all this rule, how do we know that's a good thing? Well, keep on going in the prayer. He says in verse 7, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? Notice in there, he changes the the language there in verse 7. It says, Did you not, our God, did you hear that? Our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend you see that there in other words this God has chosen an incredible grace to set his love and affection on a people you say how do I know that I'm a part of that people well you know that you're a part of that people because of what God has done through his son our Lord Jesus Christ the one who died on the cross to redeem us from our sin, the one who took upon himself the wrath of God in order to reconcile us to him so that if we call on his name and trust in him, he is the one who brings us into the family of God. He is the one that makes us brothers and sisters to one another and sons and daughters of the Most High God. He's the one that gathers us to be his people forever. We know that we are his people because we have seen what God has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, I thought there was going to be an amen after that. I'm just going to have to supply my own amen. Amen! All right, that's good. So, notice, he's the one who initiates this relationship. And by initiating that relationship, we are his people. He says, look at what you've done with our fathers and so on. You are the one who did that. And not only that, but notice, there's this place here, this temple as it says in verse 8, they've lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, and he's quoting here Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple. He says, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Notice, God is the one 
who, who dwells in this place called a temple. And so that if they just cry out to him in the temple, they will, uh, he will hear their voice and he will answer them and he will save them. We know from the rest of Scripture as we move forward into history that God's temple is no longer made out of bricks and mortar or anything like that, but rather His temple is His own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who said, tear down this temple in John 2, and in three days I will raise it right back up again. And they're sitting there going, Herod has been rebuilding this temple for decades now. We're putting all this money in it and everything. It's taken years. In fact, by the time Jesus was, uh, was an adult on earth, the temple wasn't even completed yet. It wasn't completed until a few years after he had already been gone. And he died, rose, and ascended into heaven. Then the temple was completed, and it was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. He says, destroy this temple and, build, and I'll build it back up in three days. John notes that when he said that, he wasn't just talking, he wasn't talking about the building that Herod was building, he was talking about his own body. Jesus is the one in whom we have the, uh, we, we go to the presence of God. Jesus is the embodiment, if you will, of God. As Colossians 2 would say, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in him. So if you want to get to God, you've got to go to the temple, and the temple is our Lord Jesus Christ. But we, as the body of Christ, the Bible says God has made us a temple on earth as well. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in us and among us so that if you are in a situation where you need help, you have everything that you need right now in our Lord Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit. You don't have to make a trip to Jerusalem. You don't have to go on a pilgrimage over to the Holy Land or anything like that. In Christ, we are the Holy Land. We, the people of our Lord Jesus Christ, the church, we are the Holy Land. You are as close to the Lord right now as you ever could be apart from being face to face with Him. And so we cry out and say, Lord, please, you who are near to us, hear us. He's the God who is sovereign. He's ruling over everything. He's the God who has come near to us as his people. And now he gets to the situation. He says, behold, the men of Ammon and, uh, and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you have, who you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt. And that's true. You go through the Exodus story. And as they're going through the wilderness, the Lord told them, don't attack these people. They're fine. Leave them alone. Attack the other ones and so on as you're going to conquer the land and everything. But leave these folks alone. And then notice he says in verse 11, Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. Thanks, guys. That's not a thanks. <laughs> you know, we spared your life, and your response is to band together in an alliance and try to take us out? Which leads to the next prayer. Oh, God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We don't know what to do. We've got nothing. But look at the last part of that verse, verse 12. But our eyes are on you. You, the one who rules over every kingdom. You, the one who has worked to be drawn near to a people so that you would be their God and they would be yours. You, the one who could execute judgment on our nation, or on, on, on our enemies and so on. Lord, we go to you and say, God, please help us. We don't know what to do in this situation. 
Now, all of this is good. They're fasting. They're praying. They're hoping and they're trusting that God would answer. So now you feel the tension. They've laid it all out. They're vulnerable. They're in a position where they're going, he could say yes, he could say no. But God, we're giving, we're, we're giving you everything. Please, Lord, please. We're in a state of emergency and you're our only hope. Look how God answers. Verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with all their little ones, their wives and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said this. So the Spirit is, 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 is on him. He's getting the opportunity now to speak on behalf of the Lord. And he says, thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. <laughs> when we lay everything out before the Lord and say, God, you're my only hope. I'm in a state of emergency. Lord, please help me. God says, I want you to step aside. I've got this one. I think I, I, I've told this story before, but uh, in first and second grade, um, things weren't exactly the best uh, for me. First grade was fine. I loved first grade. It was great. Second grade, somewhere between first and second grade, uh, my uh, friends um, learned a little bit of, about race. Now, mind you, I lived in Southern Maryland. Uh, we were the only black family in our little cul-de-sac uh, back in the uh, mid to late 80s. And, and I was the only black kid in my class there in, in Southern Maryland. I know it's weird in this environment uh, here in the Triangle uh, to, to wrap your head around that, but, but that's, that's how it was. I was the only black kid in my class, uh, the only black family in our cul-de-sac. And, and somewhere in between first and second grade, my classmates figured out that one of these things is not like the other. Um, and, and so they just, they piled on and everything. We don't like you, you're, you know, and they would say the N-word and so on. I'd never heard that word before in the six and a half years of my life. I had no idea what that meant. Um, but I knew that they didn't want to play recess with me. So whatever it was, it must be bad. And I don't know what to do with this and everything. And eventually, I mean, it was just, it was, it was weighing on me. I didn't want to go to school. It's a long story. But my mom found out, dad found out, and everything, and uh, my mom would tell her, her folks, you know, uh, my, my mom's side of the family, everything that was going on, and she would be just saying in tears, you know, because they had never gone through any, anything like that. Mom and dad grew up in D.C., uh, so they, you know, blacks were the, were the majority in D.C. Uh, uh, they used to call it Chocolate City. Um, and when they wore that like a badge, I mean, it was just such a cool place, you know, and, and everything um, with the go-go and all that, but that's a different story. So um, mom would tell this story, and her little brother, my Uncle Chuck, played football. He was a defensive lineman, almost made it to the pros, uh, but because it's different situations, everything, he, he never made it to the pros, but he's big, heavy set guy. And at this time he was in high school. So he's a high school defensive lineman and all this. And I remember my uncle Chuck coming to me and saying, Ron George, do you want me to show up at your school? <laughs> yeah. And, and even said, mind you, late eighties, he said, I'll even cut my hair like a mohawk, be like Mr. T, uh, and everything. It was the eighties. And, um, 
And, and I remember going, really? <laughs> okay, yeah, and everything. Now, imagine me walking into school the next day, knowing my big Uncle Chuck has got my back. And there's nothing that y'all can do, because y'all are big, and, and, and y'all could easily beat me up. There's definitely more of you than there is of little old me, but I got an Uncle Chuck. <laughs> and my Uncle Chuck, with his Mr. T uh, mohawk and everything, is going to go A-team all over you, Right? <laughs> You know, and, and I'm just like, yeah, let's do this, right? There are some young folks who are like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. But that's okay, that's okay. Go on YouTube, it's all over there, uh, you know, and everything. And so I was excited. I was like, okay, let's go. Why? Because I realized in that moment that this battle was no longer mine. I got a big Uncle Chuck that has taken over. He's got my back, and he's going to do what I can't do on my own. What is it like to hear that the living God has got your back. The living God has heard your cry and he says, you don't have to do this. You don't have to fight this alone. In fact, I want you to step aside because I've got this one right now. I'm going to take over. The Lord is in charge of this right now. Look what he says. He says, verse 16, Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they'll come up by the ascent of Ziz. He says, you will find them in the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Here's, what you're, here's your role here. Look at, <laughs> look at this. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. He says, don't be afraid for the second time. Don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. Tomorrow go against them and the Lord will be with you. What is it like to know that the great and awesome God ruling over all the kingdoms of the earth, that this God is for you, that this God is with you, that this God will fight for you. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that he actually loves us like this? In those moments when things are insurmountable, in these moments when we're in a state of emergency, isn't that the thing that gets challenged more than anything? Does he love me? Will he be there for me? Will he fight for me? Does he have my back? We hear from this story, and through all the gospel, if he has not displayed it in his son, what more could we ask than that the father who sent his son, he did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's got your back. He's got your back. How do they respond? Look at verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all the Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the Kohathites, the Korahites, they stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And notice they rose early in the morning. They went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, remember Jehoshaphat was afraid in verse 3. Now Jehoshaphat stands and he says, I want you to hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. 
And when he'd taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. I read that really fast. You probably didn't pick up on that, but here's what's happening. They're assembling the order of their army as they're marching to fight this, uh, this multinational uh, 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 army that's coming against them and all that. And did you see who's leading the way? Not the Marines. No, 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 not special forces. No. Guess who's leading the way? The praise team. The choir. They're marching <laughs> into army, and before them, we hear these folks singing, Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever, which is the least intimidating. <laughs> way to go into battle at all. I mean, you're just like, what is this? They're over here, you know, what, what, what is this? Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Like, and you can imagine the army going, what in the world? You know, but what are they doing? They're saying by their actions, he's the one that's fighting this battle. We're just going to stand over here and sing. <laughs> we're singing victory songs over here, walking into this battle because we're not afraid of you anymore. God is on our side. Or even better, we're on his side. Give thanks to the Lord. And look what happens. When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. That's not the way to fight a battle turn on your soldiers and, and kill them and beat them to death. That's not how you usually win. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. It's just, it's just pandemonium. They're, just, they're beating each other up and everything. And then you look at the rest of the story. They walk over uh, to where they were. They look toward the horde. Behold, there are dead bodies all over the place. No one had escaped. And they're just there to collect the spoils. They didn't lift a finger. God fought the battle. Think about your situation. When was the last time in your state of emergency that you went to, right directly towards that crisis and said, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever? His love endures forever. When was the last time when you were overrun with anxiety and overrun with depression and anguish and so on that you looked right at that situation and you said, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. When was the last time that you went straight on and that was the weapon of your warfare? You and you alone will save me, Lord, because your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. When was the last time you went right at it and said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. When was the last time you went straight at it and said, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that can pardon and cleanse within, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. When was the last time you went right at that situation with the promises of God and the assurance of the gospel and said, I've got this because God's got my back? Question. Do you believe this? That's exactly what Jehoshaphat said to the people. Believe it. Believe it. He really does love you. 
He really does care for you. He really will fight this battle. When you're in a state of emergency, lay it all before the Lord in prayer and in fasting and saying, God, I can't overcome this, but I know that you can. I know that I can't do this, but I know that you will. I know that I can't save myself, I can't help myself, but you've already shown me in the person and work of Jesus Christ that you've got my back. And so, Lord, I'm going to go right into this, and I'm going to sing your praises all the way through the storm, all the way through the crisis, knowing that you are the one that's going to fight my battle. And you go, trusting in him, and let the Lord take care of the rest. Church, we're in a situation that seems insurmountable. We live in a culture that has uh, gone headstrong in the opposite direction from our Lord. There are people, I, I was, I, you know, last couple of weeks was visiting different churches and, and, and one of the churches, uh, someone uh, told me, they said, could you please pray for us because we just have people that just don't seem to be committed to the church. They're, they're tired, they're worn out, and they just are having second thoughts about the church. If this is worth it to gather together, if it's worth it to covenant together in membership, if it's worth it to serve one another and use our gifts for the, for the building up of the body, we just, we just have people that don't know if it's worth it right now. And it's, it seems, it feels like an insurmountable crisis. We don't know about our future. In terms of where we're going to be long term or, or, or anything like that. There are a lot of questions. We're in a rather psychotic economy right now, right? And we're wondering, Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to use our resources? Lord, how, where are we long term? And, and we go just in, in all of those situations, we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, we need you. We need you to navigate. We need you to provide. We need you to give wisdom and discernment. Lord, we need you. And we seek his face. You may be feeling it in your home. Lord, I don't know what to do in my marriage. I don't know what to do with my kids. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand, Lord. I don't know what's up, but something's up. And I don't know how to, how to get up. Seek the Lord with your whole being. And let him fight the battle. What is your situation? What is the state of emergency that you're in? This world can be furious. This, the trials can be more than we can bear. And that's when we seek him in prayer and fasting. And the Lord will take it from there. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need your help. We saw, Lord, in the story of Jehoshaphat that when he and the people laid themselves before you, just laid it all out before you and said, God, you are our God. There is no one else that can overcome this. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You heard their cry. And you went to work. And you brought them the victory.
Lord, we have a tendency to forget that we live in a state of emergency. There's no way that we can overcome our sin. There's no way that we can overcome our struggles. There's no way that we can overcome the crises of our lives. Unless our eyes are on you. And you come to rescue. So Lord, even now, we cry out to you. As Pastor Sean said uh, before, he invited us to do so. I, I say, let's do it again. What are the things that are making us anxious? What are the things that, like Je uh, Jehoshaphat, leave us afraid? Who are the people that absolutely bring us to our knees, crippling us? in depression and anxiety? What are the sins that, that, that we, we're trying to overcome and it's, it seems like this is an uphill battle? What is it? What is it? Seek His face. Like Jehoshaphat and the people did, bring it to Him. And say with them, we don't know what to do. We've got nothing, but our eyes are on you, the God who is everything. Father, hear the cries of your people. Hear their calls for help. of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, answer. Would you, the God who has loved us, whose love endures forever, would you, O oh Father, fight our battles? And may we even now praise your matchless and holy name. Right now, let's just continue to cry out to the Lord. Let's respond to his word by doing just that. And let's believe that our God is able to do exactly what he said he